chapter 24, um, verse 13, it says, Now that very day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and debating these things, Jesus himself approached and began to accompany them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Then he said to them, what are these matters you are discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stood still looking sad stood still looking sad some some background context here's what's going on these two guys are part of the greater group of disciples there's the 11 but there's a bigger group of disciples and this moment this encounter takes place um just after jesus had died it's three days later um and some women had gone to visit Jesus together, and they saw that he wasn't there. Um, and then it says that very day, these two dudes walking down the street on the way to Emmaus. And, and they're in, in a, a state of grief, but they're also trying to work out what is going on. And we're going to learn more. Um, but for those of us who know, so Jesus is had claimed to be the Messiah. There's, there's all these promises, and now he's gone. And, and what I love is it doesn't say they're just talking. It says they're debating. It, Jesus says, like, what are you talking about so intently? You ever have one of those? Come on. I'm married now. I know. I'm married now. I know. If you married, you're in a relationship, you've had an intense conversation. I have a lot of these. Some would say, you know, I'm argumentative. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I just think a lot of people are wrong. For instance, you know, last week, Sarah Murray, who if you know her, we have a lot of intense conversations. And we had one of these ourselves so intense so intense that I happened to mention it yesterday at a birthday party. It just dominated the entire group. We are just talking about this serious hot button issue. And you think, you know, churchgoers were probably debating about scripture. No, the debate was, can you say that fire is colder than lava? Yes. <laughs> I wasn't even going that far, but you know what? You know, I'm not going to do it because... I would say I have the mic, but I don't even know if my mic goes that loud. So an intense conversation. The other day, me and my wife went to the grocery store. After church, the day later, we didn't even get groceries. We pulled up to the sea town. By the time we got there, we were in one of those intense conversations and debates. We're like, should we even go in? No, forget it. We just went home. This was like, there's no point. Some of you guys know what she made me for dinner. Anyway, <laughs> that's what these guys are in. They're in this intense conversation. It's passionate. It's passionate. That's what I say when people say I'm argumentative. I go, no, it's passionate. <laughs> and this is where Jesus encounters them. Only it's not Jesus. It's some dude. 
they're kept from recognizing him. He's a, he's a stranger to them. And I just, I hone in on this moment because as we will unpack this, what we'll find is there was so much they were already missing and not understanding. And it's almost as if it's because of that. Like, why would Jesus keep them from recognizing him? And it's almost as if because they were already not recognizing so much, they couldn't, they couldn't recognize all that had happened. These are disciples, but they were kept from recognizing him. And I, and I wonder, and honestly, I just believe that there's so much in our lives that is keeping us from recognizing that Jesus is in our midst. Like we are face to face with the answer to our questions, to our debates, to our intense conversations. But we just can't recognize that the answer is in front of us. And often it's because it looks strange. It's a stranger. Jesus moving in our lives is just not what we've expected. And my heart, the heart of this message, the heart of this message to go along with the series is to help us deal with those things. Deal with the issues that just get in the way of of what God is wanting to do in our lives. And, And if you know me, if you've heard my messages, you know I talk a lot about trauma. I talk about a lot about emotional healing. And I believe that's one of the things that gets in our way. And that's why I'm so so passionate about it. Like our pain sometimes, the, the, the pain that happens keeps us in this state of vulnerability, of, of refusing vulnerability, I'm sorry, of, of rejecting, of, of being so afraid of being hurt. And so often you're here and you know what, what you need to let go. You know that there is pain in your life, but you're so afraid of being hurt again. So afraid to love again. And, and, and we're going we're gonna to learn more about these guys but, and, and how they are in the midst of pain. But there's also some of us that are in, and, and, and here's what I, I deal with. It's not in pain, but we deal with pride. Like pride, this is my like catch all. Pain is at the root of emotional abuse, of unforgiveness, of hurting, of bitterness. But I think pride is at the root. Is you can put a lot of things. You can put entitlement. You can put anger. You can put um, um, self-absorption under this. And our own pride gets in the way. And our own inability to take responsibility gets in the way of what God is wanting to do. And I have to put this disclaimer because there's just guys out there on Instagram and TikTok. And they're like, how dare you? You know, like what, what, what taking accountability looks like in the church is like, and it's like, there is a, a responsibility that God want, wants us to take, but he doesn't want us to do it in shame. And I think that's what makes it so hard to be responsible. Like if I have to admit, and I've like full disclosure, I'm, I struggle. And, and this is something I realized a year ago, 28 years into the game. I'm like, oh, I'm entitled. <laughs> my older brothers have been telling me that my whole life. 28 years, I'm like, yo, I'm, I think I'm an entitled person. My wife's like, I'm glad you realize, honey. 
You know, she says she's going to make rice and beans. I'm like, ah, just rice and beans. <laughs> she's like, a, and I'm like, you know, like, like there's just an entitlement. She's like, so you cook. I'm like, you know what, baby? You, you could do it now. But I've had an entitlement. But to acknowledge, oh, I'm entitled. Oh, I'm being self-absorbed. Oh, I, I have an anger issue. I have a pride issue. It exposes us to shame. Because the second we realize we're in the wrong, guilt and shame come flooding in like the mean girls from high school. (laughs) And and what I want to do is I want to unroot the shame that keeps us from acknowledging our pride and the fear that keeps us from acknowledging our pain today. And so to do that, we have to continue. Um, what, I, what I want you to see is that these guys do end up recognizing Jesus. In verse 30, it says, When he had taken his place at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. At this point, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. So when the bread broke, they were able to recognize the encounter that was in the midst of them the entire time. The title for today's talk is Break Bread, Recognize Jesus. And I have it structured this way because I want it to almost be a mantra that when you feel distracted, when you feel those feelings coming on, the hesitation in the midst of a deep move of God that you can say to yourself, like, break the bread, recognize Jesus. Break the bread, recognize Jesus. As, it, as the story continues, I want to pick back up from verse 13. It says, now that very day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus and seven miles from Jerusalem, they were talking to each other, uh, seven miles from Jerusalem, they were talking to each other about all the things that had happened. And so now we're going to get some context as to really what's been going on. While they're debating these things, having this intense conversation, Jesus himself approached and began to accompany them, but their own eyes were kept from recognizing him. Then he said to them, what are these matters you're discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stood still looking sad. This is where we left off. And you see that they are sad. They're in the midst of grief and pain. But their response is this. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? And I read that and I see myself because I see such arrogance. I see myself watching Lisa use her iPhone. Like, you the only one that doesn't know that you just do this to go home? And you the only one who doesn't know? And the irony, like we get to be in on the secret. But it's Jesus that they're saying this to. He said to them, what things? 
The things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, they replied, a man who with his powerful deeds and words proved to be a prophet before God and all the people and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped... So here's pain again. They're they're in this state of hopelessness. We had hoped that he was the one going to redeem Israel. Not only this, but it is now the third day since these things have happened. Furthermore, just there's that unmet expectations. It's been three days. Where are you at, Jesus? Furthermore, some women of our group amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back and said he had seen, they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And Jesus responds, he says to them, you foolish people. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things written about himself and all the scriptures. I want to highlight what's happening here. So I've already highlighted a little bit, but, but see how much they just don't get it. These are not random people. These are followers. Like they were with him when he was doing miracles. They're, they're telling a stranger, hey, this is the one who proved to be the, the prophet of God. This is the amazing guy. We, we had hoped he was going to redeem Israel. And they're there in disappointment. So far, Jesus is calling them foolish and slow to heart, slow of heart. What's interesting is that Jesus has this ability to rebuke people, and yet they never feel condemned. Why is it that Jesus is able to say to people all throughout Scripture, You of little faith? And there's no, and then they felt bad about what Jesus, no, as a matter of fact, they follow him more. And what we'll see here is that these guys urge this stranger, a stranger. Imagine a stranger came up to you. I was like, yo, you such a fool. (laughs) Yo, uh, Pastor, I saw your preaching clip. You're foolish and slow of heart. Like, you don't get it. Imagine somebody just walks up to you like, yo, you don't know this stuff about the Bible. He says it. But something about the interaction leaves them wanting more. Something about Jesus, he was able to facilitate a place of correction and accountability and let them know, like, you guys just don't get it, but they never felt ashamed. Why do we? When, when we feel God calling us out, when we're in those situations, like, I went back to work last year. I, I changed jobs last year. It was uncomfortable getting on the ferry, dealing with people, getting on the train, dealing with people, going to work, dealing with people, co-workers, and people, patients, people, clients. And it, it brought things and brings things out of me that is just, <sighs> and Jesus is like, yeah, you thought you were healed. You just haven't been taking the ferry. I'm like, I know, that's called boundaries, God. 
Like, we find ourselves in situations having to trust again and, and things that you don't even think are going to like, oh, that was, a, that was a flash from the past about that time that I was hurt. And, and Jesus is having us in these situations that are bringing up the uncomfortable feelings and we start to want to hide. Something I didn't get to say earlier and, and saying want, wanting to hide reminded me. Adam and Eve, they didn't have daddy issues. They didn't have trauma. But they still chose the fruit. And that's the, that's the duality. Like there's pain, but Adam and Eve created perfectly, still chose. Still chose. And then they, they passed the buck. God's like, Adam, where are you at? He's like, listen, it was Eve's fault. Eve's like, yo, it was the serpent's fault. The serpent's the only one. <laughs> Who did the serpent blame? And we give that serpent a bad rap. Sounds good. He took the punishment. <laughs> no, no, but I, I kid, but, and, and immediately what they were doing was hiding from God prior to this moment. And, and, and it's really the human struggle, but Jesus is in these moments and nobody's feeling shame. And, and here's why I think, because it says after saying this, he takes the time to teach them what they should know already, what they just haven't got. And what you need to know, like when we're coming to encounter Jesus, why we can come with all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, the stuff we don't want to admit about ourselves, the stuff we don't want to admit about our past, is because Jesus is patient. He's patient even when you just don't get it. Yeah, like maybe you're up here and you're, you're coming up for something like you heard about and you knew you've been, you were dealing with and you got a word and, and the, the word was like, yeah, you got to do X, Y, and Z. And you said, and you just didn't get it. And now you're here and you're like, oh, I need to respond. I need to respond, but you, you're afraid because you're like, well, I should have responded. No, Jesus is patient to show up to you and take the time. Yo, he went back to Moses. That's mad books. <laughs> like, how long was that road? That he takes the time to go from Moses and all of the prophets. I'm still trying to make my way to the books of the prophets. <laughs> You know, you reset your Bible plan. <laughs> I know. And Jesus takes the time to teach them because he's patient. And you need to know that he is patient with you. He's not in a rush with you. He's not looking like, at you like, you don't get it by now. Oh, I'm so done with this one. Gabriel, can you, can you believe? <laughs> Can you believe how many words I done sent this person? <laughs> I just don't get it. You know how old this person is and they just don't get it. Still dealing with bitterness, still dealing with entitlement, still, yeah, no. The second you call upon him, he is willing to teach you and show you. Like bring God your, I don't get it. What if, like, yo, God, I don't get it. Like, I know, I know I'm supposed to be kind to everyone. I think this is Pastor Rose's prayer. But every time I go to a Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru, 
You know, I think, Rose, this is your word from you. Go to Starbucks. <laughs> you never had that experience. Never. Starbucks don't. Like, bring God. Yo, yo, God, I don't get it. Like, I, don't, I know I'm supposed to love. I know I'm supposed to forgive. But I just, I struggle here. And he will be patient with you. And, and what's so important about that is there's this paradox. When you live in your, I should get it already. When you live in your, I should get this by now. You actually create a cycle that ensures you'll never get it. When you live in your self-loathing of, ah, I should know better by now. It just creates this shame cycle because then you hide from God and you don't give him the thing he wants to teach you. And then, and then you do it again. And then you feel the guilt and the shame and the condemnation. And so then you live in the, I should have gotten it already. And then you hide from God. And then you live here over and over and over again. And God is still on the road waiting to encounter you. Do you think that maybe he kept them from recognizing him because they wouldn't have responded to Jesus the way they responded to a stranger? He didn't want their Jesus answer. He wanted their real answer. Tell me how you really feel. And they told him everything. He said, okay, let me show you. Let me, let me work, because I can work with that. I can't work with the, sits with a woman at, the, at a well, has conversation after conversation after conversation. He goes, oh, you gave me something I could work with. You gave me the truth of where you're really at. He wants where you're really at. And he wants to encounter it so he can show you. And they keep talking. They, it says that, so they approached the village where they were going. Jesus is so cool. He acted as though he wanted to go farther. But they urged him, stay with us because it's getting toward evening and the day is almost done. So he went in to stay with them. When he had taken his place at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. At this point, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Then he vanished out of their sight. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us while he was speaking with us on the, on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? So they got up that very hour. And returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven. And those with them gathered together. And saying the Lord has really risen. And has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road. And how they recognized him when, the, when he broke the bread. Verse 36. While they were saying these things. Jesus himself stood among them. And said to them. Peace with, be with you. Don't read ahead. Peace be with you. Jesus is like, yo, what up? What, what I want to highlight here is this theme of community that runs throughout this narrative. We, we hear about three women, no one by themselves, go to a tomb. And then two other people go, go to this tomb. But the three women go to the tomb. They get a message from, from angels. They spread that message. Those two people go and they spread that, that message. And then there's these two dudes who've heard all these things. No one's alone. And Jesus is everywhere. 
And then a stranger pops up and who is a, someone who is a stranger to them, they say, hey, like, it's getting late. Just, just come hang with us. And they invite him into their, li- into their home. And then it ends up being Jesus. They have their own encounter. And what do they do? It was just getting late. And what they say is, we got to go meet up with the others. It's just this theme of community. And as they're telling the others what happens, Jesus shows up again. And then as you continue throughout all of the New Testament, like this is just the theme. When people are together, Jesus shows up. The day of Pentecost is not one dude by himself in the upper room. It's a bunch of people worshiping together in community. So many of us are looking for breakthrough by ourselves. But all through the narrative, Jesus is showing up where people are together, talking about their encounters, talking about their breakthroughs. If you're looking for a breakthrough today, you need to know this community leads to breakthrough. It's why it's our our main pillar. It's why we do community groups. We believe people find freedom in the context of relationship because where two or more are joined together in his name, there he is. Where two or more are coming together, casting their burdens. The two were intensely debating, but they were both debating and talking passionately about something that was affecting them. They they both lost their mentor. They both both lost the person who they thought would be the, the redeemer of Israel. And they weren't keeping it to themselves. They were talking about it together on a road and there a stranger appears and this stranger is someone they take the time they they're they're not like hey 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 go go away we're busy we got problems we got issues they take the time And, and i know they're arrogant in their response but they they first take the time to show this stranger all that has happened Like in their grief, in their pain, in their frustration, they're taking the time to show this person who must not know anything, hey, you don't know about the Messiah? Here's what's going on. And then they they go through, through the length. Like look at the length of inconvenience. They invite him in. How many strangers, and hear me, like don't go pick a random person up. How many strangers... Are we turning away? When if we were to invite them in, we would have an encounter with Jesus. And maybe you're hearing like, well, the stranger was Jesus. Okay. But post Holy Spirit descending down, all of us who've placed our faith in Jesus have the spirit of God dwelling inside of us. How many encounters with Jesus do we miss out on when we refuse to encounter people? Like I've literally just a community group ago. Like we, we thought we were just hanging out and learning a lesson and Holy Spirit broke out. I didn't know I needed that. But I did. Like, and there's stories of community after community after community where people come together and sh- they share their burdens and their pain. And what was once a group of strangers is a family who's encountered Jesus. And that's really what Christ Uncensored is. We're going on 10 decades of community. Not 10 decades, sorry, Ron. One decade of community. We're going on it, all right, Pastor Ron? We're going on 10 decades. See me, see me 10 decades from now and be like, see, I was right. <laughs> it's really just 
we're going on a decade of community, people who met in a house, people who did life together, building upon um, encounter after encounter. And the, the reason why is God showing up? Because people are showing up together, united in their hunger, in their hunger to encounter Jesus and be here together. So we can't isolate. We have to know that, that like there is a group of people here like we're, we're, if you're hurting, there's probably someone else hurting about the same thing. Yeah. You're grieving, there's probably someone else grieving about so much. And there's been so many times that I've been going through stuff that it was a word from someone else. Last week, I just walked up to Sam and Holy Spirit moved. Not because God gave me a word. It's because we know that we deal with the same struggles. We deal with the same thing. So all I had to do was step next to her and Holy Spirit came and spoke to both of us. And, and that's not just my story. That's so many stories here of broken hearts, of people dealing with pride. Like, yeah, I got this issue. Yeah, I talk to people crazy. Yeah, I don't want. And then just in connecting, they find freedom. And so that's why when we do the altar call, we come up together. And I love what I, what I see at Kuha. I love that sometimes there's people who hesitate and there's usually a friend that's like, hey, you want me to go up with you? Like you can see them talking like, hey, I'll go up with you. <laughs> I love when I like see the people who know each other and you can always tell like who's the like the eight in the church. <laughs> if you don't know the Enneagram, it's an Enneagram reference. Like there's someone, they come up and they're fired up and they see like someone they're close to and they have a relate and they're like, oh no. Come on, like you was just telling me, like come on, let's go together. Because we do community together and this is what happens. People inconvenience themselves for the sake of Jesus. For the sake of freedom, like imagine their mindsets, two dudes by themselves, like, yo, we got to go tell the others. It wasn't even a thought because they knew everybody's hearts were heavy. I said, we got to go tell them we saw Jesus. He said, no one's seen him yet. We're getting this news about he's risen, but no one's seen him yet. They were the first people to see him risen. First thing they do is go and tell the others. And what happens? Jesus pops up. Peace be with you. Jesus shows up again. So as we read, it says, while they're saying these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. But they were startled, <laughs> still don't get it, and terrified, thinking they saw a ghost then he said to them, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It's me. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy and were amazed, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? Jesus, you just ate. So they gave him a piece of bread, a broiled fish. <laughs> he took it. And ate it in front of them. What's so cool about this. I'm just going to start here. Jesus wants to eat so many times after his resurrection. It's, it's, coming back to life must take a lot out of you. <laughs> but you, you guys remember I mentioned the woman at the well? He's talking to her and talking to her and talking to her. The disciples aren't there. They finally show up. They're like, yo, Jesus, you, you should get something to eat. And he goes, my, 
my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. <laughs> I love Angie. That's right. Then he dies on a cross. He says it's finished. And then, very interesting, he's saying, hey, I thirst. And in Lee, Pastor Lee's the one who gave this revelation years ago. She's like, you ever thirst from something? Like you, you finished a big workout. That's what I do to sermon prep now. I was doing jumping jacks in there. I'm thirsty. Jesus all the time is hungry, but his, his, his food is to do the will of the one who sent him. But on the cross, he said, it's finished. And I wonder if every time he was eating, he was reminding them, it's finished. And feasts are important in their culture all throughout the Old Testament. It's like, have a feast for this, 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 to remember you were delivered from this, from this, from this, from this. And I wonder if Jesus is like, let's just eat so you can remember it's finished. The dude who said, I don't need to eat, all of a sudden wants to eat. <laughs> Twice in a day. It's still the same day. He's still, he's like, hey, let's, let's eat some fish now. Bread and fish. Like, how many breads were broken for God to do a miracle? Like, how many breads are harmed in the, in the wake of Jesus doing a miracle? Fish, just by the boatloads, just coming in. Uh, the five loaves and the two fish. God is doing these things. And there's multiple times that he's, in his resurrection, having to show them the holes in his hands and, and saying, it's me. And, and they're all in disbelief. Multiple times, he's, he's just having to do these things again. And, and it's funny because the Bible is very, very redundant. It's very repetitive. Like, it's like, this happened, and this happened, and this happened. And it's just like the same thing happened, but like in different ways. There's four gospels. Like, we needed four of Jesus's life. There's just a lot of repetition. And I wonder if the literary design is meant to match Jesus's heart. Because what we see is he's also doing things over and over again. Like he, he just showed up. Cleopas and, and his boy are there telling them, yo, we saw Jesus. Jesus shows up. They're like, it's a ghost. <laughs> he just showed up. He's like, don't be afraid. Like, look at my hands. Like, that would make me more afraid, Jesus. <laughs> He's just doing it over and over again. Like, yo, Jesus, you're, you're, you're redundant. And I wonder if his word to you today, I think his word to you today is like, yeah, I'm not afraid of having to be redundant. Like, Jesus is not annoyed by redundancy. He will do it again. I, you need to tell that to yourself. He'll do it again like... Maybe, maybe your inner critic's right. Hey, you should be over this by now. At this age, you should be embarrassed. Maybe your inner critic's right. Maybe, like, it's embarrassing to still deal with those things. I, I got mama's boy syndrome sometimes, right? Like, I'm, I'm about to be 30, right? Like, it's embarrassing to admit these things about ourselves. I, like, maybe you came up here last week, got set free, and in, in the course of the week, you're back in the same bondage. In the same day, they didn't believe Jesus was Jesus. And he did it again. He's not annoyed by redundancy. Maybe you need to be set free from the same thing today. And like, if, if I could be honest, my secret sauce to sanctification is I give it back to God. 
It's not that I've, there's things that I've been set free from and that I've been healed from and that God has just given me the grace. But every now and then, something creeps in. And sometimes, some things just haven't quite left. And it's like, oh, oh, oh that's, that's, here you go, God. <laughs> oh, that, mm, I, I wanted to say that in my head up to this person. It came out of my mouth and it was unkind and it was rude. Here you go, God, take it back. Take it back. And God's like, okay, I'll do it again. You need me to show up in your life again? I'll do it again. You mean to prove that it's finished again? I'll do it again. You need me to convict you of your righteousness? I'll do it again. You need to give up your pride? Don't swallow your pride. Confess your pride. Give it to Jesus. And he'll do it again and again and again and again. Come, I don't, how many times do you need to come up here? Do your own altar call at your house. Like, Jesus, here you go. He's not afraid of being redundant. Like God's not in a rush. He's, he's not like afraid of like, oh, they're gonna, the, the world's going to think I'm a one-trick pony. He's willing to do it again. And, he, and he, what he wants to do, and this is why, because he wants you to expose all of you. He wants the real you your full self, the things you hide from other people, the things you, that you'd be embarrassed or ashamed if word ever got out that one time you did that thing, the, the, the fear that you have, the trauma that you have, he wants all of it. Like maybe you did Matrix and you're on your third year. He still wants it. It's like, Lord, I threw it in the fire, came back. He wants all of it. He wants it again. And he's, he's content to sit there. Like, hey, look, it's finished. Look, you, you got some fish? You got some bread I could break? And every time he breaks the bread, you'll recognize him. Every time you come up here, you'll recognize him. And sometimes the problem really is we're not recognizing him enough in our lives. Because if we do, we realize we can just go to him. We just give it to him. And it's, it's those three things that I think hold us back. Not realizing that he's patient with it. Not realizing that we need community more than we, than, we, than we do. Not realizing that he is not afraid to be redundant. Here's, here's the last one I want to leave you with as we stand and get ready to encounter him. You guys feel ready to encounter him? Like there should be nothing that can hold you back because Jesus is not afraid of it. He's not intimidated by it. He's not annoyed by it. It says that he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture and said to them, thus it stands written thus it stands written that the Christ would suffer and would rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in him in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem you are witnesses of these things and look, I am sending you what my father promised. And this is the Holy Spirit. We see this happen later in Acts. But stay in the city tonight until you have been clothed with power from on high. 
And I read this and I can't help but think like Jesus is so patient. He's so patient. He's so willing to make sure that they get it over and over and over. But there's a mandate. After their minds are open, there's this mandate like, hey, this needs to be proclaimed. They're they're sent out. And at the heart of this, I, I really want you guys to know, like, this is from personal experience. This is a message to myself. Like, your encounter is not just for you. Like, it's not, it's so easy to fall into like this egocentric, oh, God, what's your word for me? What are you going to do for me? And then we take it and we hold on to it and we move along our day. So easy to become containers that stay full but never pour out. But Jesus wants to encounter the world. And we see the theme that when he encounters people, they spread it. And then those people encounter Jesus. Just It's just happening over and over and over and over. And, and honestly, we're a byproduct of a millennia of people sharing the gospel. And, one, and hear me how I say this. I want to say it specifically like this, but I'm aware of how it can sound. And no, I don't mean it in a... I just, I just spent 45 minutes going to town on shame, tearing down shame, so you should not feel shamed. But one of the most selfish things we can do is disqualify ourselves from our purpose. Because behind your purpose is a person desperately in need of Jesus. Behind everything that you are called to do, every story you are called to share, every gift that you have, it is meant to reach people. And sometimes like our doubt, you know, makes it about us. Like you can't, you can't be doing that. You're going to worship today. You're going to go to church today. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to offer prayer to that person. You shouldn't be doing that. You're going you're gonna to step out. You, you don't deserve to step out. Do you hear how you-centric it is? We become self-absorbed in how much we can't do because of what we deserve. And so we, we kind of like, God can't use me. I'll let Emily take it. I'll let Pastor Rowe do it. And we disqualify ourselves, but there are people who only, like, it's, it's your story that's going to change them. It's, it's your gifting that's going to bring a revelation to them. And we disqualify ourselves, but there's a world out there that you will facilitate by your story, by just your humble act of stepping out, will encounter Jesus. And so how do we fight this self-absorption? Well, we have to become Christ-absorbed. Like, you know what? Maybe talk to those voices. I started telling them, yeah, you're right. I don't deserve to be up here. Paul was wrong. I'm the chief of sinners. You're right. But thanks be to Jesus. That he took a sinful, broken, still can't get it right, still messes up, person and made him whole 
that he still, that he paved the way that while we were sinners, while we were enemies, he gave his life to adopt us into sonship. Thank you, Jesus. That as disqualified, unqualified, ashamed I ought to be, he clothes me in righteousness. And there's this text that says that Jesus is coming back for a spotless bride. And people will say, don't you know? Jesus is coming back for a spotless bride. I see spots. The Bible also says that he who began a work in you will be faithful to complete it all the way up until you got a lifetime guarantee, not even a lifetime, a, a forever time guarantee on this until he returns. <laughs> People, people start predicting the end times. I'm like, nah, I know he's not coming back yet because I still got spots. <laughs> hey, he's faithful. He'll do it again. Come back to him with your blemishes and, and, and your, your, your stains and your, your, your dirty clothes and let him clean you up again because he's faithful to do it over and over and over. And God is moving at Christ Uncensored. God is moving. So please don't hold back. Like, can we, there's people already here. Can those of you just come down to the front? Actually, yeah, can we bow our heads? Can we close our eyes? I want to do something because I really want to facilitate this moment properly. If there's any of you here who really just feel uncomfortable or just in pain or, or just about coming to the front with everybody's eyes are closed. No one sees this is all anonymous. I just want to know because I don't want to pressure anybody into anything. Can you just raise your hand? Okay. I'm going to let the record show. I see no hands raised. So if you haven't raised your hand and that's not you, can I just give you a push to come down here? Maybe you don't know what you're dealing with. And you can come down as I speak. Maybe you don't know what you're dealing with, but can you just come down here? There's something about being here together. Being here together. That's just going to facilitate what God wants to do today. Father, I, I thank you for every life here. I pray that you will move so mightily today. Like we, we give you our agenda. We surrender our agenda to you, God. We just ask that you have your way. If there's anybody here who maybe hasn't placed their faith in you, Lord, you, you, you're working in their hearts. And so if, if that's one of you, if there's any of you, all you have to say is like, Jesus, come into my life. I accept you. You can say that out loud. You can say it to yourself quietly. God, we ask you to come have your way today. In Jesus' name, amen.